You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Through Moses, we learn how to maintain great faith when the world system is trying to press us into its mold. Learn more about this message in week 5 of our series, Great Faith. You know, we're talking about the Hall of Faith. We're going through the Hebrew Hall of Faith, some of the characters, not really in detail, but some of the characters we're picking up, you know, we've finished most of the characters in Genesis. Uh, we, talked about, um, we talked about Enoch. We talked about the Hebrew believers first week. We talked about Enoch. We talked about Noah. And then last week, uh, we want to thank Pastor June for uh, preaching on Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And so this basically more or less covers Genesis. And we're moving forward to uh, Exodus. And we're looking at... Uh, a couple of characters or several characters from Exodus, particularly in the life of Moses. How many of you are familiar with Moses? Okay, who is Moses again? He was the one who built the ark. No, not built the ark. Uh, he was the one who received the Ten Commandments. Okay, and so uh, one particular picture that we know about Moses was he was the one who met with God in front of a burning bush. How many of you remember that? You know, if you're familiar with your Bibles, if you've read Exodus, you know, particularly Exodus uh, first four or five chapters, you will find the story, uh, really interestingly, an amazing story of a bush that is not consumed with fire and God himself was speaking to Moses in that bush. Another highlight in the life of Moses was he uh, opened his hand and did not really sing uh, from Titanic, okay? Uh, you know, he actually opened the Red Sea he led the people of God outside Egypt. Uh, he declared the ten plagues uh, over Egypt. Ultimately, the last plague was the death of the firstborn. But every firstborn in Israel was saved. And he led them through dry land, crossed the Red Sea, into the wilderness. And once they were in the wilderness, we're familiar with this particular picture of Moses receiving what? The Ten Commandments, right? He had a tablet which was inscribed, the Decalogue, or the Ten Words of God. By the way, before the iPad was invented by Steve Jobs, Moses already had the tablet, okay? Just so that we know. Technically, Moses was the first person with a tablet downloading data from the cloud. So uh, this is the original inventor of the tablet. So we're going to talk about Moses this afternoon. And uh, if you have your Bibles, would you kindly open it to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews 11 beginning in verse 23 to 27, okay? Hebrews 11, 20 to 27. Then if you have, uh, if you have uh, your Bibles there, I'd like to invite everybody to stand up as we read God's Word this afternoon. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 to 27. Uh, very short passage, but yet it covers most of Exodus. And we're not really going to go through the entire book of Exodus, but some highlights in the life of Moses. Verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Everybody say beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the 
reward. Let's read all together verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time this afternoon. We ask that you would once again anoint the preaching of your word, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand and comprehend what you want to speak to us through this uh, preaching. I pray, Lord, that you will uh, inspire us with the faith of Moses. He refused the riches of Egypt in order to be identified with you. And I thank you, Lord God, we will stand up for what is right. And I thank you also that you will give us uh, the same faith as uh, his parents when they saw him to have a purpose in his life. We thank you, Lord God, for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. Sorry. <laughs> thought I turned it off. Okay, sorry. I, I woke up with sniffles uh, uh, this morning, so don't make beso beso with me later on, okay? All right, so we, we start off, you know, when you talk about Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews, uh, he wanted to inspire the Hebrew believers, uh, just a little background, uh, you know, to, to hang on because they were being persecuted, their properties were being taken away from them, some of them are facing death sentences and because of their newfound faith in Christ. And so the Hebrew writer, uh, some of them are saying it's the Apostle Paul, some of them are saying it's one of the early fathers in faith, but his main objective is for them not to give up. And in, so, uh, in the process of doing this, he gave examples of people in the past, people of faith, in order for them to also follow the examples of faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 started off by the explanation of, of faith. We know the definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11.1. Hebrews 11.1 uh, uh, talks about faith. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not yet seen. And so when you talk about faith, many times it involves things that you have not seen yet. And how many of you have a dream? Please raise your hand. You have a dream, okay? You see it in your mind, you see it in your spirit, but you have not seen it happen yet in your life. That is what faith is all about. Many of the, you know, the characters or the patriarchs or the people in Hebrews 11, they saw everything from a distance, and yet many of them did not even realize that or receive that, but by faith they stood and believed that the one who gave the promise is faithful. Now here we find the story interestingly because uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're done with Genesis and if you read the very last chapter of Genesis, uh, the people of God were no longer in Canaan. They found themselves in Egypt. And this is where we pick up the story. Okay? When Pastor June last week was talking about Sarah, Sarah was actually still in the land of Canaan. And that's exactly where the promised land was. The promised land that God gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was in the land of Canaan. Okay? But there was a famine in the land. And it so happened that Jacob had 12 sons and uh, several daughters. And one of the sons of Jacob was Joseph. How many of you familiar with Joseph? Joseph was the dreamer. He was a bit boastful when he was younger. He was loud mouth. He had a dream. He told his brothers and his father and mother, you know, I had a dream. You're all bowing down towards me. So the, the brothers hated him. And so when there's an opportune time, they actually sold him as a slave to some of the caravans going to Egypt. So he found himself in Egypt. 
And so, you know, he was probably questioning God with the vision and the dream that he had. But somehow, how many of you know that when God gives us a promise, sometimes some problems will appear? And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. Ultimately, he found himself interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh and Pharaoh trusted him and said, no one is like you in the land. You ought to be second in command. He gave a suggestion to Pharaoh because there's a big famine coming. It'll not last a few months. It'll last seven years. And so he said, you know, uh, save all the grains. And he was the one in charge there. Ultimately, the brothers went there to buy grains and the rest was history. Pharaoh gave them and he found out that the, the father and the brothers of Joseph was there in Egypt. They said, bring your family here, 70 people in all, and I will give you the best of the land. And he gave them the land of Goshen. It is a, you know, a land that is kind of like prime property among the Egyptians and he gave them to Joseph. And so Joseph, when he was at the end of his life, he said this to his brothers, I am about to die and God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised. Everybody say promised. To the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Where are they once again? They were in Egypt and Joseph was saying, we are not supposed to be here. We are here temporarily. And we're going back to the land of promise back in Canaan. So he made them a promise. You know, make sure you bring my bones. Don't bury me here. I'm going to be buried in the promised land. Now that entire generation died. Another generation was raised. 50 years gone by, they were still in Egypt. 100 years had gone by, they were still in Egypt. 200 years went by, they were still in Egypt. 300 years went by, they were still in Egypt. 400 years went by. And they were still in Egypt. And guess what? After 400 years, how many of you know that the population had exploded and has grown among the Israelites? And I'm pretty sure among the Egyptians. You know, it's kind of like the time when the Spaniards were here in the Philippines, you know, 400 years. And they found themselves in Egypt for 400 years and a new Pharaoh was raised who neither knew Joseph nor what he had done to the nation of Egypt and how he had helped them during the time of famine. And so he was looking at this group or this nation of Israel or Israelites and said, you know, who are these guys? They are actually increasing in number and who knows they might take over us. So why don't we put slave masters over them and let's convert them into slaves. So they ended up as slaves. Somehow the people of God, the Israelites, were supposed to be there only for a short time. But somehow they felt the comfort of Egypt. The government was benevolent. They found some comfortable, nice area that they could actually increase their livelihood and you know, have trade with the Egyptians and so on and so forth. And, and because they valued comfort more than they valued obedience to God, they ended up in slavery. And we need to be careful that we will choose comfort over obedience from God because ultimately it will lead us to become slaves as well. And we're going to be learning three things about the faith in this particular account. Number one, great faith is fearless. Everybody say fearless. Uh, you know, the, the text that we've read earlier really talks about not Moses yet, but about the parents of Moses. In Exodus chapter 1 and 2, it gives us the background of the infancy of Moses. It was that time when the 
Pharaoh basically had instituted a new decree or a new command that every Hebrew baby boy that is to be born is to be killed and thrown out in the River Nile. He also hired the Hebrew midwives as they helped deliver the, you know, the, the pregnant he, uh, Hebrew mothers. Pagka babae, let her live. If it's a boy, kill that boy. But the Hebrew midwives feared God more than they feared the king. And they would let some of the boys, actually the, every, every baby live. And when the king would send an inspector, they would actually make an excuse and say, you know, Hebrew women are strong and vigorous. You know, before we came, they actually gave birth already. And so that was like the issue. So God blessed the Hebrew midwives even with their own families because they valued life just the way God valued life. And yet the parents of Moses, we see that by faith. When he was born, he was hidden for three months. Everybody say three months. Why was he hidden by the parents? Kinakahiyaban ng parents yan? No, because they knew for a fact that this was a special child, a, a child of purpose, a beautiful kid. Okay, because they saw that the child was beautiful, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Ultimately, the faith of Moses really began with the faith of the parents of Moses. And the name of the parents of Moses were actually Amram, that's the dad. He was a Levite. And he married another Levite woman named Josebed. You find this in Exodus chapter 6. Both of them are Levites. They love wearing jeans, okay? And so they, you know, they basically were the first ones to believe that God has a particular purpose for this child, no matter what happens. And they knew for a fact that it was risky. They knew for a fact that once the government finds out about them trying to protect this child, not only will the baby be killed, but all of them, the entire family, will be killed. That was a big risk. How many of you sometimes just loving and obeying God will have to take big risks? And for, for them in particular, it's worth the risk because they would rather obey God than obey the king. And it says, by faith, they saw that particular child. And you talk about beautiful Beautiful here does not really talk about just, uh, you know, the uh, physical appearance. You know, kind of like this baby, okay? And it's, a, it's, a just, it's not just cuteness overload, okay? We're not just talking about beautiful in appearance, okay? Or like maybe this, like this baby, okay? Uh, you know, just, you know, having that nice big hair, big eyes, you know, just the cuteness, whatever, okay? And so when they saw that particular child, they said, Wow! This is, first of all, this is our baby. We'd, we'd, we'd love to protect him. Secondly, they saw that God has a special purpose for the child. For some reason, he was marked out. Out of all the babies in Israel born at that time, he was marked out to be different. And they believed that. And they were willing to risk their life in order to see that their child was born and raised up in the ways of God. You know, great faith recognizes God's goodness and clings to it. Great faith is actually the ability to see something that is not yet there as if it's already happened. You know, and as parents, I realize that just like the parents of Moses, God has given us an awesome responsibility to take care of our children. You know, look at your children. How many of you have children? Can you raise your hand? You're a, you're a parent here. You know, and each child is different. Some of you probably have one child, maybe some have more than, a ch more, more than one child. 
But no matter how many children we have, each child has been born with a purpose. And I believe that as parents, we ought to be like Amram and Joshebed in looking at each child and saying, you are a child of destiny. You're a man and woman of faith. No matter how old they are, they may actually be a toddler right now. They may actually be a teenager. They may actually even be adults. But nonetheless, as parents, we are not to give up on our children. Amen. In the same way, they knew for a fact that there was a short time that they can be with Moses. They hid him for three months and they maximized that moment that they were with him. They saw the purpose of God in him. In Psalm 139, verse 13 to 14 says, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, Lord God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do we see our children as fearfully and wonderfully made by God. O talaga nakakatakot lang yung future nila, di ba? Parang, you know, don't fear the future for them. And realize that when you talk about parenting, parenting can be expensive, right? How many parents realize that by now, okay? You know, one child is expensive, two children, more expensive, three children, it's a blessing, okay? Anyway, so, uh, but the Bible says that blessed is the quiver who's full of them. If you have you know, more than two children, you know, that's a blessing from God. They're not just an extra mouth to feed. No child is an accident. Whether you plan that baby or not, even among you, husband and wife, maybe some of you think, you may not have planned that, but God planned it. And God still has a purpose for that child. Amen. And we see that in the case of the Mo- uh, Moses' parents, they, they saw something special about Moses, and they were not afraid of the king's commands. It was a command. It was a ruling. It was a uh, a legislature that every Hebrew boy is to be killed and thrown to the river Nile. And so what did they do? They made a basket. It came to that point wherein Moses, at three months old, probably is making a little bit more noise than normal. And she could not hide him anymore. So what she did was, she made a basket made of pitch and tar. And you know, we talked about this two weeks ago, that the same Hebrew word for Noah's ark was used also for Moses' basket. From the Greek uh, Hebrew word teba. Everybody say teba. Okay, it came from that word, which means a container that is sealed to be floating on the body of water. And I believe that when Joshebed was putting Moses in that basket, she had to let go of him. You know, there comes a point in time, <clears throat> excuse me, where we have to let go of our children and transfer them into the hands of our God. And she had to have faith that God will take this basket into the rightful place. And it did. It actually arrived in the arms of the princess, the daughter of Pharaoh, who was taking a bath. It was like a bathing party at that time. And guess who was following the basket? The sister of Moses was following the basket. Now, I'm not inventing this. You have to read this account, okay? This is all in the book of Exodus. I'm just, you know, uh, making it fast so that we can all be uh, understanding what's ha- what happened. And so Miriam was following the basket. And when the Pharaoh's daughter saw this, you know, surely this is one of those Hebrew babies 
you know, that is in this basket. And so immediately, Miriam asked the princess, do you want me to find a nanny for the baby? And the princess said, sure, please find me a nanny. And guess who was the nanny of Moses? The mother was taken as the nanny. Josebed herself was hired by the princess. How many of you mothers would like to have that privilege? You're being paid for raising up your children. But anyway, so <clears throat> she was paid well. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure about that. And she raised Moses. And the time came when she, he was old enough. Uh, you know, the, the Bible just said he was grown up. We don't even know what his age was. Maybe he was 10, he was 12. But he was grown, he has grown enough to know the Hebrew faith. He grew up old enough to know who the Hebrew God is. And Amram and Joseph had, Joseph had make sure, made sure that they fed him and they actually uh, put the purpose of God in him that ultimately you are called by God to be the deliverer of Egypt. He knew that before he actually entered the courts of Pharaoh. You know, one important truth here, you know, the parents of Moses were not even scared to put the baby in the river Nile. That's exactly where the place of death was for the Hebrew baby boys. That's where they threw the Hebrew babies. And that's exactly where they placed the basket of Moses. You know, another important truth which we need to highlight here is sometimes we can actually defy civil authorities if this is contrary to the commands of God. Take the example of Moses' parents. Take the example of Daniel. When the king decreed, King Nebuchadnezzar said, nobody is to pray except to me. What did Daniel do? He continued to pray to his God. And then he put up a big statue. Everybody is to bow before me. And what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? They defied the commands of the king. They said, you know, King, we respect you, but we know that our God will deliver us. But even if he does not deliver us, we want to let you know that we will not bow down to your idol and we will worship our true God. There are times wherein you have to stand up for what is right. We'd rather obey the voice of God than the voice of men. Take note of this number, 60,069,971. What's that number? This is the number of abortions that happened in the U.S. last year since 1973, since the, you know, since a turn, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Supreme Court basically gave favor because of the Roe versus Wade uh, uh, case. They legalized abortion in the U.S. Abortion used to be illegal in the U.S. since the 1900s. It was a criminal act, not until 1973. And somehow the U.S. abortion laws makes it legal for a person to abort a child for whatever reason. They say that it's for the mother's health or the baby's welfare. How can you be concerned about the baby if you will actually kill the baby? Last January, we've heard also of the news in New York legislature wherein a long-stalled abortion bill finally was passed. And somehow, even in the face of the calls of the federal level to weaken the abortion rights, New York basically passed an even stronger abortion law and the bill maintains abortions as legal within 24 weeks of the start of pregnancy. 
six months into pregnancy, you can still abort your child. Or at any time, there's an addendum, necessary to protect a woman's life or health. In other words, even if tomorrow you're about to give birth, you can still abort your child today. What an evil law. And I believe that God abhors such a law. Because God values the sanctity of life. And we are to preserve life at all levels. And how grievous this thing. It's done in the U.S., but it's not limited in the U.S. In fact, if you go to the abortionclock.org, worldwide, the number of abortions that happened from 1980 is already at 1.5 billion people. 1.5 billion babies. Can you imagine that? There are 1.5 billion people that are not alive today because their mother chose to kill them when they were still in the womb. This is such a serious thing. The most, the safest place wherein a child ought to be protected was in the womb of a mother. And yet, their life was shortened because of a selfish act, which is pro-choice. Is pro-choice really a God's choice? Or is it a selfish choice? Great faith is having a holy fear of God that dispels the fear of man and the ways of the world. There are times that we stand up for what is right, even if it's unpopular. I'm not talking about you going for civil disobedience tomorrow and not obeying the traffic laws, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what should be right. If there's something that is out of whack or out of proportion and is contrary to the word of God, I believe that as people of God, we need to stand up for what is right. The sanctity of marriage is what we're facing right now as a nation. And that's also another issue that we're going to talk about someday. Secondly, great faith is not only fearless, it is also what? Selfless. Everybody say selfless. You know, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And here we see that Moses somehow as, you know, is trying to discover his identity. He knew for a fact, maybe by this time, that he was called, he had a destiny, he was supposed to be the deliverer, the one who would lead the people out of Egypt. He grew up in the courts of Pharaoh. He knew the education of Egypt. He had access to all the riches. He had the connections to all the, you know, uh, to all that uh, is needed in order for him to advance whatever he, whatever he likes. He's got wealth, riches. You know, it's like the, the different G's, gold, guns, glory, everything you have at your disposal. But yet he chose and he refused to be associated with that world system and chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than the pleasures of sin. There was an opportunity for him to rise up. You know, one particular day, Moses was walking and he saw an Egyptian mistreating uh, uh, an Israelite. 
What he did was he looked to the left, he looked to the right, and he killed the Egyptian <laughs> because he thought, anyway, I am the deliverer of Egypt, I mean of, of, of uh, Israel. So he hid that Egyptian under the sand thinking that nobody saw him. The very next day, there was a couple of Israelites fighting and he wanted to mediate in their fight, wanting to be the mediator and the deliverer of Israel. And he said, stop this. And one of the Hebrews uh, said to him, would you kill us like you killed the Egyptian the other day? So he realized that what he did was not a secret anymore. And he feared somehow that his life will be in jeopardy. So he fled that. But somehow that was the plan of God for his life. He started off with the wrong footing. He wanted to do what was right. But the manner he did it was wrong. And I believe that, you know, there are times you may be standing for what is right. Walking in faith is not just doing the right thing our way. It is doing the right thing God's way. There is a way of doing things right. Don't just do it my way. Do it God's way. It has to be God's way. But yet we find Moses in the wilderness and he stayed there. We don't even know how many years, but the total said 40 years he was in the wilderness. That's where he met God in the burning bush. I believe it was, he had to take 40 years because God had to take Egypt out of Moses. And he had to meet him so that he can actually put his trust and his entire faith in him. In verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated by the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here we see that when you, when you refuse something, you also choose another thing. You cannot choose something that's good if you don't refuse one thing that's bad. It's a choice. Every day when we wake up in the morning, we have choices to make. It's either we serve God or we serve man. It's either we please him or we please the voice of man. By faith, Moses chose to sacrifice rather than preserve himself. He will forsake the present in order to embrace the future. He chose to live the temporary in order to embrace and take hold of things that is eternal. That is what Moses was. Interestingly, I realize that maybe some of us are questioning, so, uh, you know, pastor, uh, is it now bad to be blessed? I have nothing about the blessings, I have nothing except blessings of God. How many of you know that part of God's covenant with us is that, is that He will bless us? But we are not to live for the blessings because sometimes we can actually be using that as a pursuit of wealth. You know, God wants to bless me anyway. So the only thing what we do is we actually live our lives trying to pursue wealth. This is exactly why Jesus reminded the disciples, he said this in Matthew chapter 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves what? Treasures in Heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Many Christians sometimes think that Christianity is a call to a life of just prosperity and blessing. I don't disagree with that. I believe God wants to bless us. But I also believe that Jesus himself said, if you want to be my disciples... Pick up your cross daily 
come and follow me. It is not just a life of pleasure and wealth and possession. It is also a life of sacrifice, a life of self-denial, a life of selflessness and pursuing God, more of God and less of us. You know, if God blesses us just like he blessed Job, that's great. Job was one of the richest patriarchs during the time of Abraham. He actually lived just during that time. He was the richest man. Nothing wrong with that. But when the riches had to be taken out from him, what would our attitudes be like? Will we respond just like Job when he said, Naked I was born in my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He chose to worship the Lord no matter what. And at the end of Job's life, ultimately, God blessed him again. God had no... How many of you know that God has no problem blessing us? He just wants to make sure that we're ready and we're not going to be destroyed by the wealth that is giving to us. You know, all these things, they're fine as long as they don't get in the way of God. God has no problem giving you a nice house or a nice vacation. God has no problem giving you a nice car. I have no problem riding a nice car. I have no problem going to a nice vacation. But if that thing will hinder me from my relationship with God and be lured in a life of sin, there's something wrong with that. In a pursuit of wealth, for example, if you would like to just go and you know, do shortcuts, maybe a businessman trying to do shortcuts, you know, not issuing receipts so that you can actually save on taxes, okay, so that you can tithe more, uh, Maybe not, because we're compromising already. Maybe a student could compromise in the exams. You'd rather go look at the left and the right. It is better to cheat than to repeat. Then maybe not. We're to stand up for what is right. And we're to reject the fleeting attractions of sin. But if you get blessed along the way, no problem. The same chapter that Jesus said, even the pagans run after these things. The ungodly, the pagans are the ones running these things, but not so with you. Look at the person beside you. Tell the person, not so with you. Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. These are not the pursuit that we have to have in life. This ought to be just byproducts of our relationship with God. Amen. These are blessings. These are not the ultimate things in life. If we have this, praise God. If these are taken away from us in this life, let's still praise God. Amen. Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than be identified as a child of the daughter of Pharaoh. Jesus once again reminded in Matthew 16, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Great faith, first of all, is fearless. Great faith is selfless. Third, great faith is relentless. You know, when we talk about great faith, it does not give up easily. Amen. There's a 
persistence in great faith. When you talk about great faith, kapit kalang best or whatever, you know, don't ever give up on things. You know, just make sure that you fix your eyes on Jesus, the one who is going to fulfill his promise to us. And in verse 26, it says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You know, how do you see someone who is invisible? Uh, in reality, how do you see You only see him through the eyes of faith. You know, for the most part, maybe we have not, for most of us, maybe we have not seen God yet. Have you ever seen God face to face? Maybe in a dream? But for most of us, I hope that we can see him who is invisible. Moses saw him. He endured a seeing God who is invisible. He saw his nature. He saw his faithfulness. He looked at his past and checked the track record of God and said, God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the present and he will be faithful in the future. Come on now. God is an awesome, faithful God. Amen. <laughs> William Barclay said this, Moses was the man who gave up all earthly glory for the sake of the people of God. Christ gave up his glory for men. He became despised and rejected. He abandoned the glory of heaven for the buffets or for the buffet, for the buffets and the scourging and the shame inflicted by men. Moses in his day and generation shared in the sufferings of Christ. Moses was the man who chose the loyalty that led to suffering rather than the ease which led to earthly glory. He would rather suffer for the right than enjoy the luxury with the wrong. He knew the prizes of the earth were contemptible compared with the ultimate reward of God. And I hope that as we live our lives, some of us are young couples, you know, you have a dream, you have a, and there's a big future in front of you. And that's great. Dream big, believe God, you know, pray for His provision. God, as I said, God has no problem blessing us. But if God's blessings will get in the way, He can also take it away and make sure that we are filled and we can sing that song, Christ is enough for me. Because ultimately, Christ is our ultimate reward. If you have Christ, you have everything. Christ holds all things. He created the entire universe. He can create something out of nothing. Pastor Rain, you know, I thank you for, for that reminder, you know, that He is actually a God who's involved in our daily thing, in the mundane things. He can turn our water into wine. Sometimes you don't even notice the miracles that we face because we're waiting for the big one and yet God has been faithful in giving us little miracles every single day. Christ is enough for us. Interesting, the following chapter, Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have a race to run. It's interesting that we've been talking about 
walking the faith. And this illustration is talking about running the race. So this is what you do every day. You run, walk, walk, run. Walk, run, run, walk. Okay? We run the race. We walk with God. And in verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. In another translation, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do we actually see the God who is invisible? You know, there's a story of this father and son whose house was, you know, uh, caught on fire, and the boy had no recourse but to run to the roof while the house was burning. And the father somehow was able to go to the ground floor and he was shouting at his son. At the, uh, you know, the son was actually on top of the roof and it, the, the, you know, the house was full of smoke already and flames on the second floor. And the father was calling and shouting to the son, son, jump and I'll catch you. And the son told the father, I can't jump because I cannot see anything. It's so dark here. There's so much smoke. And the father said, jump. I will catch you. And then the son said again, but dad, I cannot see you. And the father said, it doesn't matter if you cannot see me, I can see you. Just jump. You know, many times in our life, we can't see what's up ahead, but God sees us. And we can actually just go for it and jump and obey God. Come on now. That's exactly what faith is all about. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, certainty of things not yet seen. I'd like to ask the music team to join me here on stage. You know, I was having a devotion the other day, and somehow God showed me this particular verse. He, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. And he said, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. You know, we live in a world and in a day wherein there's so many distractions. You wake up in the morning and the first thing that you do is what? Check your phone. Check how many likes you have or whatever, okay? Check your status. Or you have a lot of notification or there's an alarm or there's a, a, a meeting here or you have to, you know, uh, do some responsibilities in the house. But I believe that God first and foremost would like for us to fix our gaze on Him. May our attention be upon Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. The only way that we can have perfect peace is if our mind is stayed on Him. Many times you can be distracted by all these things around us. We can be anxious. We can be worried. We can actually be fearful with all these things. Things are trying to fight our attention. And God is just waiting. May we find ourselves fixing our mind and our gaze on Christ. Because great faith defeats fear. It denies worldly pleasure because it sees and focuses on the reward who is Christ. If you talk about faith, faith isn't just about something that we believe. Faith, it is something fearless. It involves something that is selfless. It also involves something that is relentless and persistent. Faith is something that we can actually fight for every single day of our lives. You know, living this life as a Christian really may not be an easy road. We see that in the life of Moses. He obeyed God. He was used by God powerfully. He led the people of God. 
out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness for 40 years. They were journeying the land of the wilderness, the desert. And for 40 years, they saw the faithfulness of God. Despite all the complaints, despite all the rebellion, despite all the disobedience of the people of God, God was relentless in His provision upon the people of God. Every single day, they wake up in the morning, there's manna from heaven. And in the afternoon, there's quail flying there. They had meat and bread every single day for 40 years. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that their shoes, their sandals did not wore out for the past 40 years. Do you have shoes like that? That's 40 years old. It's still new. That was like the condition of the shoes of the Israelites. How God preserved them. And yet this man named Moses led them out to the edge of the promised land and God told him, oops, you're not going to come in. You're going to stay in this mountain, Mount Nebo, and die here. Because ultimately God used him not for himself. God used him so that he can serve the purposes of God in his life. It's not about him going inside the promised land and experiencing the blessing of God himself. It's about him obeying God ultimately. And with that, he was considered to be one of the greatest men of faith who ever lived. You know, as we walk every single day, let's just ask the Lord, Lord, it's not about us anymore. May our prayers be like John the Baptist, less of us and more of you in our lives. Let's just bow our heads right now as we close. Father, thank you so much for... Lord, just a time of uh, worship. Lord, I thank you that you will allow us to choose what is right, to let go of the lures of the world, and to stand up for the things of God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you will allow us, Lord, to uh, have great faith in the midst of the opposition, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of the lures of this world, to say no to the world system, God. I thank you, Lord, that you will bless your people, Lord God, as we stand up for what is right. Indeed, without faith, it is impossible to please God because he who believes must believe that he exists and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, Lord. And I think that you will find in this church a people who is constant, a people who is faithful to you. Thank you, Lord God, that you will find us always relentless in our walk and in our pursuit of you. Thank you, God. Let's all stand up right now. You just heard a podcast from Victory. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit our website at victory.org.ph or like our page on Facebook at facebook.com victoryph.